Hello, everyone. Again, this is Chris Calvert from Career Goals, and this is your fast track for physical therapy. Today, our guest was Julie Sarton, one of the premier experts in pelvic floor. So we're going to talk all things physical therapy and then her specialty. So why does Julie do this job? There's no better feeling that when you walk out of the room or even at the end of the day when you get to witness change lives. I mean, there's no better feeling. And that can be on a small scale or a big scale. I mean, and we talked about lots of different examples. But when you have a patient that has tears in their eyes thanking you like you changed my life, there is I, I go, oh, my gosh. And I get I just got paid to do that, right? right. It doesn't even, it's not work. Yeah, it's your it's calling. It's a calling. Yeah. So when you find your calling, that's the best. Totally awesome. So she has her calling, which is physical therapy. This is for a generalist. What does a physical therapist as a generalist do? As a generalist, you know, you're the specialist, the musculoskeletal specialist. So you deal with muscles and bones and ligaments and soft tissue. And we rehab when an issue comes up, whether it's, you know, uh, a functional issue or a pain issue. But what I've done is gone in and then become um, honed in and become a specialist just with this particular region of the body, which is the pelvis. Which is super important, actually, because that's the articulation for really everything that we do movement-wise, right? Hub of the wheel. Hub of the wheel, right. So this is cool. I learned this about physical therapy, that there are a lot of subspecialties within physical therapy. So listen to Julie talking about that. So the American Physical Therapy Association has 11 different subspecialties, and I happened to choose the last one that was developed, which is called a women's clinical specialist. Wow. And that is currently being changed because um, I'm not just a women's health therapist, I'm a pelvic floor therapist, and both women and men have pelvises. Right. So that was interesting because I think of physical therapy. I think a lot of us think of physical therapy as sports. So you think you have your trainer or someone who's just really highly educated in movement or helps you rehab your ankle when you bust it or something like that. But she talks really specifically about the variety within this profession of physical therapy. So listen to her about that. Every environment spoke to me. And the profession in general spoke to me because I was like, wow, well, if I get bored or if I feel like I learn and accomplish everything I do in this arena over here, I could just reinvent myself and jump over here. So that appealed to me, which I loved. And even though, again, you know, I've decided, well, this is the profession I'm I'm going to pursue and the degree I'm going to pursue. I still had a lot of wiggle room to really figure out then, well, what's my subspecialty going to be? It's super important here because she's going to talk about what is the passion in pelvic floor. So within physical therapy, you can find another second passion. So you have your passion of physical therapy and then you move on. So hers is pelvic floor therapy. And here she's talking about that. My goal is to make these not taboo, Mm -hmm. right? Right. We should be talking about bowel, bladder, bedroom issues, right? Sex, you know, all this should be healthy. People should not suffer in silence because this is what they've done or they've been told the wrong thing. I'm hearing about this even in, you know, some of the things that I get involved with in ancillary and medical is all the incontinence because we do like some little lasers, you know, that do that. right. The the rejuvenation, right? It has been incredible just to hear the stories of people who are like, like the, you know, I mean, you just think like, oh, Femi left. Okay, you're going to just have better sex later or whatever. It's going to just right. help you. No, no, no. These are people who really are suffering from like, like what you're yes. saying, like incontinence. And a lot of it is just learning how to use those muscles, the muscles effectively after you get, you know, you can get the treatment for sure, but you still have to just learn how to use your body right. in, a, in right. a new way, which just is like, probably where you're coming in. 
Right. Yes. Yeah. So for the strengthening aspect, and then there's a, a whole nother area that really truly within the specialty is my passion and that's pelvic pain. And that's, you know, my late uncle, that was his specialty. Um, so yeah, I love, because again, these patients are so mismanaged by the time they're coming to our office, they've seen eight, 10 different physicians, practitioners, they've been misdiagnosed, they've been In, they, invalidated completely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and are lacking a lot of hope that, that this can change and that they can live a life with better quality mm-hmm. and actually maybe have resolution to the problem. One thing I noticed in there is listen for her empathy, listen for that kind of conversation. So think about yourself and how do you check yourself and think about if, you, if you're an empathic person and someone who could do this kind of work, because you really have to be there for other people to do um, this to do this physical therapy work successfully. So listen to her talking about how to kind of check yourself and know if you're this person. I'm always analyzing posture, gait. I'm like, oh, I could help her, you know, or you could just even when I saw you, I hadn't seen you all those years. Right. So, you know, I'm like, oh, I put my hand on your head because I'm like, oh, because, you know, I'm just right. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm just touching all the time, which, yeah, some people are like, you're weird. But (laughs) well, what about people who are just like huggers and people who are just absolutely, you know, they just have that kind of like like come and share my physical space with yes. me, right? Those Absolutely. People, yes. If they line all the other stuff up. But- and with pelvic health, I mean, it takes it to a new realm. So what sets us apart is that we we actually do internal work. So it's a different and not oh, every PT is, right. is not comfortable with that. There are a ton of PTs that are like, nope, absolutely not. Nope, 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 nope. But yeah, so we Almost do- like a gynecologist would then in those yes. ways. Yes, yes. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I never would have put this together in terms of physical therapy going into this level of work that, that she's talking about, that she's doing, but just gives you the idea of how creative this profession is and how much collaboration there is with other health professions, which is something that Julie really talked about in our interview and something that she can give you a little piece about right here. What we did is with um, the patients that come in, particularly the pain patients, because so we created, I used to draw it out. I'm like, okay, here are all the pieces of the puzzle for you to get better for you. We have to figure out what pieces of the puzzle fit in. So we created this healing heart with little pieces of the puzzle. And it may be, you know, five different things that we've got to make sure we address, but maybe not all of them are here with us. And so, yeah, absolutely. We're collaborating with people offsite. We have collaboration with insight, like a guided imagery therapist to work Mm -hmm. on the mental. And we have, you know, maybe the acupuncturist and MD over here. And so, um, and from a pharmacology standpoint over here. So it's, yeah, but I love that because everyone has their own prescriptive healing plan. It's never exactly the same. Right. And that, completely keeps me going because I get to be always say I'm like, I'm the detective. This is so great. So cool because, you know, Julie, again, has found her true passion. And we always think like, oh, that she must have been a scientist since she was young. She must have known that she wanted to do this. She must have loved anatomy and gone for it again, 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 again. We say this almost every time. That's not how it goes and certainly not how it went for Julie. So what did she think she was going to be doing when she was younger around, you know, grade school and even through college? I yeah. always thought I would be a teacher. I loved school. Nice. I was a strong student. I loved the academic environment. And I thought, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And I have a brother who has a, a complex seizure disorder and pretty significant learning disabilities. And I saw the battles that my parents went through. And I thought, that's what I'll do. I'm going to become a special ed teacher. I'm going to help this whole population of kids that really needs it. Spent a lot of time with various teachers and learned particularly special ed teachers, there was such a high burnout rate. And I, I thought, you know, if, if that's the case, um, I'm not sure I want to do general education. 
I just thought, you know, I, I think there's something else out there. So I ended up getting my undergrad degree. I spilled over into speech pathology and audiology. While I liked it, I never loved it. Right. And you, you realize that when you're in your, what, like third year of college, now that you've spent all this time getting yourself educated in a certain vein. So don't give up. It's a fluid process. Life is a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. So just keep on keeping on, which is what Julie does. And what she holds on to is the teaching. Did you love anatomy when you were in high school? It wasn't until college. It was oh, college. Okay. So this is really like a so, slow build. This was but what slow, is consistent for sure is the teaching. The teaching. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to figure like, out how am I going to teach whether in, you know, a big group, small group, one-on-one. Right. So how does she do that? Like that's, that's a, such an important point that she's making here because as you're going through and you think like, oh, I totally need to self-correct. Like I, this is, I don't want to do speech pathology and audiology. This is not for me, but there is an element in there that is working. So keep the thread and keep threading the needle through the rest of it. And so listen to how she kind of does that and navigates through and taking yet another class. I was really lucky that through uh, the program, I got exposed to head and neck anatomy. Oh, yeah. And that was that class was the turning point where I was like, whoa, where, you know, we actually we got to hold a real brain and we got to dissect and we got to Mm -hmm. figure out the the physiology behind and the neurobiology. And that for the first time, I was like, this turns me on. Like, this this is so exciting. I can't wait to study this. Okay, there you go. If you're still on board, that's if that's you, if you didn't just lose your lunch talking and listening to that, then this is cool. So now kind of we're putting together the story, right? A little bit of an empathetic, a little bit of an empathetic person, um, certainly a scientist, an academically driven person. And then the teaching comes in just because you have to learn and teach in physical therapy. It's very much a collaborative effort. So then what about finding the calling? So they would bring in each week a different professional from representing each one of these professions. And the physical therapist walked in the room and I, within five minutes, was like, senior year, graduating three months from now. (laughs) That's it. That's my calling. That's what I'm going to do. Which is hilarious because that's her calling in a course that she took at the end of her college, you know, degree. And it was a course for allied health professionals where she thinks she's just going to take kind of this gut course and, you know, fulfill a requirement, get done or get some credits. And she ends up finding this calling in physical therapy. So you just never know. Keep on keeping on. That's kind of totally how it goes. So now she's off to PT school. And what does that look like? And who does well in PT school and what's involved? And I'm just going to give you like a spoiler alert. PT school is for people who can academically accept the challenge, accept the academic challenge. It is super intense. I didn't realize this before I had this conversation. I thought it was more of a vocational. I thought it was, you know, I thought you definitely have to take these classes. I didn't realize the degree that you have to take these classes. So let's listen to her talk about kind of where it is now with standard of care and physical therapy. The master degree was really what everyone had. And okay, so, so I got it. to be part of the first doctorate. But now, fast forward, it's the doctorate level that is everywhere. That is the standard oh, so of care. Like standard of care. Doctorate level standard of care. So you have to be ready to take on the academics. And you also have to be kind of a hands-on person. Listen to her talking about that. And what that, I finally right? figured out is I'm very um, kinesthetic. So basically, I'm a very hands-on person. And so, and that's also why I was drawn to physical therapy. Okay. So hands-on academics, and now here's some of the brass tacks of what is involved. 
and I did head and neck anatomy, I had to go back and do general anatomy, right? And oh, have a cadaver dissection be part of okay. that. And then I had to go back and do general physiology. And then um, for PT school, part of the weeding out process is they'll they'll have you do a lot of the sciences. There is some spillover. I mean, I was in with pre-med students, right, um, yeah. dental students. So because you're all taking the same prereqs, uh-huh. right? So you had to take physics. You had to take each school required different amount of chemistry. Um, so, and part of that is they're just trying to test, I mean, for PT, you know, because it's very competitive, right? To get into PT school. It is. It was, it was very back in the day. It still is. There are more programs now, but, um, yeah, it was. And then it's not like you can just go, even if you take these classes, you you have to do well in these classes. Correct. And then you're going to look at your science GPA. Then they're going to look at your overall GPA and then, yeah, what your GRE scores are, um, what your experience is in the field. I mean, it's like super intense. Okay, so that's just your academic piece. And now listen to her talking about the other skills that you might want to have on board. They want to look for somebody who has well-rounded experience. So whether, again, volunteer or actually paid experience in it, by paid, I mean, you would be a PT aide and it's on-the-job training okay. and you're shadowing under a, a PT, licensed PT, but you actually have your hands on patients. You get to learn the flow of whether it's a clinic or a hospital so, but if you get, have a diverse exposure, that they that like helps that. you greatly. So this is like hard to keep in mind, right? So she had to go back and do these, I think, two years of prerequisites and all the basic sciences because she didn't have that coming out of her undergrad degree, which she has never used per se. Um, so she goes back and gets all these other classes and then goes on and you have to get you know clinical experience because you have to have people writing your recommendations to get into PT school. So listen to her talking about that. In general, you're going to need at least three good recommendations. And so one should be a clinician, one should be you know, somebody from your academic past, I used a professor from undergrad. And then um, I hope it was that head and neck anatomy. It was, <laughs> that's, not, that's what I would have been using. Right. Yes. <laughs> you changed the trajectory of my career. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, somebody else who's influenced you, you know, that is credible. So, um, yeah, so you have those. And then um, you you have to write extensive essays, your really personal intense. statement. Yeah. You submit all your GPA, your um, proof of your work or volunteer experience, and then and your GRE scores. And then you wait to see if you make the first cut. If you make the first cut, then you're invited to come in for an interview, which okay. I think in our profession is absolutely critical. Seems I mean, you've like got to see mm-hmm. yeah how you interact with a patient, what mm-hmm. kind of bedside manner you have, because. You can be yeah, the most brilliant like clinician, but if you can't lab. relate to your patient in front of you, right, yeah. it's not going to translate to success in the clinic. I mean, that is a lot. And what she said in there is so important. So if you are someone who is going to need a recommendation, which is pretty much everyone on the planet who's ever going to work, the key, the key, the key. And if you're 14, 15, 16, 18, and you're listening to this, please, 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 the classes that you are taking, find the professor that you you know are aligned with. Sometimes you just have an affinity for certain people. Keep in touch. Make sure that you're sending, you know, an email touch base like every you know few months. Like, hey, professor so and so, this is what I'm up to. Just wanted to say hello, whatever it is, because it's really awkward to like a year and a half later or two years later when you realize that oh, I want to go like fulfill my dreams and I want to go do X, and you need a recommendation, kind of like a character reference or an academic reference from. Some someone that knew you two years ago that you haven't kept in touch with at all. And they're going to say like, 
you know, sure, maybe I might, they might just say no, which I'm not really comfortable. I don't know what you've been doing, which is totally possible. Or they might write a, write a recommendation that is not reflective of who you are now and any of that. So just be smart about this because you have people in your life that want to support you 100% they want to support you. But you got it. That's a two way street, you got to give to get so you have to really get good at kind of laying crepe, if you will, for these opportunities that will come down the line. It goes both ways. You'll do this for someone else and they'll do it for you. But just keep and think about if you're an adult, you know, if you're a career professional, the people who keep in touch with you, it's just a lot easier for you. You know, I always say like, you know, make it easy for people. Be the person that that makes it easy for them to teach, easy for them to recommend, easy for them to, you know, befriend, easy for them to refer on to someone else for a job, anything, make it easy. And she makes a key point here because she has to go back two years later and ask someone for undergrad for this recommendation. Okay, enough said there. So then you still have to get accepted after that first initial qualification round. So listen to her talking about that. Essentially, there is a date uh, that you're going to find out. You're going to apply to X amount of programs and then they're going to let you know if you're accepted or not. And if you don't get in, you know, are you waitlisted? Are you not? Right. And then you get to decide if you get in, if you're lucky to get into multiple schools, which school you choose to go to. That's right. So it's kind of like med school or other programs in that way where you kind of throw out, you, you need to apply to several schools and then you have to do these interviews and it is really intense. So you really need to be prepared. Like I said, those recommendations, all that stuff, super incredibly relevant. Okay. But then you go off to PT school. You do reasonably well. What if you are not the top in your class? Can you still do, you know, conceivably well? We always say, right, there's there's some doctor out there who is the last, <laughs> the last in his or her class. And maybe it's true for PT still, certainly not in Julie's case. But um, but how does that kind of flesh out? How, what if you're not first in class? You can just, still the be the did. rock star. You can yeah, be the rock star. Really I wasn't at the top of the class. I mean, my roommate in PT school was at the top of the class. Very interesting to track like our different, different career paths because yeah. they are different. Right. So there's always your your skills are always going to come out in different ways. And so maybe like coming out academically and in those specific, you know, ways that they are evaluating you in PT school might not be the only way that you're going to be evaluated when you get on with the job. And this, you know, fast forward, Julie has this amazingly successful career as a real expert in her field, which is really cool and awesome. But what if you can't quite commit to this level of academics, or you just don't have the skills? I mean, some of us just can't really just do it in terms of, you know, memorizing this amount of material or like kind of putting it all together in our head in this way. But you love physical therapy, and you love the idea of helping people in this way. What other options are there without going to get a doctorate? Physical therapy assistant. So you're still licensed. Okay, but it it's a two-year degree that you get. Um, and yeah, and you work under the license of a PT. And then after the assistant, you go down to an aide and that's just on the job training. And okay. that's usually those, all your aides are typically trying to get, yes, go, okay. they're headed to PT school. Okay. So that's cool. That gives you a good idea. You don't only have to go to PT school to be able to work within physical therapy. And this is definitely true in sports from my experience, from what I know, there are people, plenty of people in that realm who are just really skilled physically working with people. So what about if you are in PT school, now you're, you know, getting a job, they do these rotations, they do, you know, shorter and longer clinical rotations. So listen to Julie talking about that, because this is going to be key in terms of setting yourself up for the future in your PT career. That's such a beautiful thing. And really, through the curriculum, you are exposed to each of these areas. But in the end, you get to choose through your clinical affiliations, um, 
depending on the program, maybe exposure to three shorter ones and then three long ones. So I was um, out for a year doing all my, at the end, the last yeah. year is the th- three to four month clinical affiliations where you really get immersed in clinical practice to go, yeah, this is what I want to do or mm, not so much, not so much, but you still have to fulfill that requirement. Okay. So that's a requirement, but how important is it to pick the right rotation? Quote, unquote, how, <laughs> how important is it to get it right? If you're lucky, one of the clinical affiliations that you've been at will pick you up. It's a match. You want to work for them. They want you. And that's what happened to me. Oh, is I that see. when okay. I went through, they, they're all like, please contact us when you graduate. You know, we would love to have you join us. Okay. Not going to say anything more because it's fast track, but there you go. And I've already said it, right? I mean, keep in touch with these people and make sure that you're choosing appropriately. Okay. So what else is possible? I think about PT. I think about, again, I think about sports. I really think like, okay, on the sidelines of any college game or any professional game, there's all these, you know, trainers and everything. And it's kind of in that realm. Or if you get injured, but then there's a the whole rehab side for older people where physical therapy, physical therapists and physical therapy is involved. But there's just a lot of different ways. So one of the kind of the cool things that you can do to get a cool job is something that Julie did. So listen to her talking about kind of how she weaved her path to get into clinicals. Before I ended up start opening my practice, um, I worked for the university. I worked for UCI, actually, for okay. almost a decade. A physician I worked very, very closely, closely with at UCI had been treating her patients for a couple of years. She said will you please, please put a proposal together and come to UCI and start a program, a pelvic floor program for us and work side by side with me. I was actually given um, a position in the OB-GYN department as a PT. I was this lone writer. It was really great. So I got to work. I was, they put me up with the physicians and uh, worked with the OB-GYNs, the Eurogynes, specifically two phenomenal Eurogynes. And so I, my treatment room was right next to where they saw patients. And so we would do this beautiful collaboration back and forth, which was so much fun. It gave me so helpful. Yes. And I got to learn so much from the medical side. It was a phenomenal experience. And then they would send all their med students in and their fellows in to spend time with me, which was also so great because they would always be what? We didn't even know you existed. And oh my gosh. So I got to feel like I'm influencing tomorrow's doctors too. When they go out in the world, right? Next generation going out. So in terms of creating awareness and referrals just for greater good so patients can get the help they need. Okay. Sounds really awesome and cool, but you kind of have to be an expert to be able to do that. They're not going to ask for a proposal from someone who doesn't know what they're doing or is inexperienced or that kind of thing. So how do you become an expert in PT? The American uh, Physical Therapy Association has advanced board certification that's available. So just like in medicine, Mm -hmm. so you can sit for that advanced board certification. But in order to do that, you have to have X amount of years of experience. So you have to prove I have X amount of hours treating this patient population. Yes, I have to write a publishable case study that can get out there. Um, So then they accept you to sit for board certification. And then you go on and you take the exam. And then if you pass, you become that. Then I got published. So that's another way. So if you you get get published. published, So I wrote different papers in journals, whether so and I I was specific um, physical therapy journals. I actually went outside. I went to the medical journals. Smart. And then I went to speak at conferences, not just PT conferences. So I have done PT conferences, our, uh, our big one combined sections. But I went to the, again, to the physician conferences and I got up to speak to the docs 
I mean, it's just so smart to think about this. But the, again, if you want to be a super academic person, listen to how she's talking about writing papers, getting published, I mean, getting a doctorate. I mean, this is like really serious academic stuff. So this is for someone who can commit to that. And then keep in mind that Julie wanted to be a teacher. And then she was said, oh, okay, I don't want to be a teacher in that way. So I'm going to weave and figure out how to, how to be a teacher. So she does nothing, you know, but teach a lot all day long because she has, you know, lots of staff. And then she obviously helps people. But she also teaches at the university now. So listen to her talking about that. I get to teach now at Chapman University. Um, and I was sharing and I, I would teach. I mean, I would teach anywhere because Again, that fills right. that right. original dream of I'm going to be a teacher. Oh, I love this. Uh, though, because okay. It just keeps coming up. So it's like I wanted to be a teacher and I am. I know. Yeah, which it's, is it's so, so cool. great in that. And then I love school. I'm like, I'm back in the university setting. Right. I'll never get tired of that. Which is awesome to hear because, you know, there are other, others of us who are like, when can I be done with this? <laughs> like, this is like, oh, I am so done with this. So if you're because there are people who love school, you know, they, they just love school. And if you love school and you're good at it, you can do amazing things like Julie. And one of the next things you can do, you know, you go to PT school, you get a, a doctor in PT, then you go and you work in the university setting, clinical setting for a decade. In the interim, you become an expert through this advanced certification. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now you're teaching, you know, more. And then you're like, hey, you know what, I could do this on my own, and I could start my own business. So now you have to put on your entrepreneur hat that includes risk taking and do that. See how that goes. Listen to her talking about that. I made the plunge and it was, uh, gosh, so we've been, we're eight and a half years in. So eight and a half years ago, the market, we're still recovering from the big crash. And um, so I went, I had my little business plan all written up and I went to multiple lenders and with my business plan and was turned down <laughs> because, oh, because no one was no lending money back then. Yeah. So my husband and I went back to the drawing board. We're like, all right. You know, he was very supportive. I'm like, can we try it anyway? Sink or swim? Like, can we scrounge up every single penny that we have? Yeah. Start getting revenue as quickly we, as possible. Yeah, yeah. Can we, can we do it and can we build it as we go? So cool. And she did, by the way, she has an amazingly successful PT practice. So it's a thousand percent possible. So Julie, because of her level of expertise and where, you know, kind of she sits in the PT world is obviously she hires people for her own business, but then she also sits on admissions committees for, you know, in various PT settings. So she's in a, a really good position to tell you what someone would look for in a PT as either as a staff or as someone applying to PT school. So listen to her talking about that. Pay close attention if you're thinking of going on to be a physical therapist. So first thing I always look for is somebody that um, the fire is lit. So that internal drive and passion of this this is an alignment with what I was created to do. And I tell when I'm interviewing potential PTs to join me on staff, if that's not there that and it's not palpable, then we don't go any further. Right. And you'll hear that in other settings too, but super important here, I'm sure, in the PT world. And then I'm just going to close on this last piece that Julie gives you that I think we talked about in the in the full interview. I hope you get a chance to to listen to that. She gives so much incredible information that really expands on everything here in this fast track. This is a key point that she'll talk about several different times in the interview in different ways. But listen to sh- what she talks about in terms of relating to the patient. 
I want to know how do you relate to the patient? Mm-hmm. I want to know, right? How do I feel when I just stand next to you, right? How so and um and I always say that cuz I can teach you. I want to know I want to know what kind of experience you have, but it it's not a game breaker or changer if if you don't come in with experience cuz I can teach any skill. I really feel like yes. I can hone yeah. your skills. I can teach you. We can develop them. It's the stuff I can't teach you. That's what I'm looking for totally. as an employer. An employer and in physical therapy or probably anywhere else. So again, that is your fast track with Julie Sarton, who is a physical therapist and also an incredible expert in pelvic pain and pelvic floor therapy. And I'm Chris Calvert. This has been Career Goals. And I want to thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next time. Mm